Jesus taught us about spiritual warfare and the role of prayer in it. Today, we're looking at one important thing we need to know about becoming a spiritual fighter through prayer. This message is the eighth in the series, The Way to Pray. The message is entitled, Learn to Fight, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. And go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets this morning as we turn our attention to God's Word together, involved in a series of messages called The Way to Pray. And I want to talk this morning about learning how to fight the spiritual battle, learning how to fight your spiritual battles. There was a time when, uh, during Jesus' ministry, when one of his disciples came to him and asked him a very important question, actually made a request of him and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? We want to pray your way. It was obvious that they had seen Jesus praying. They'd learned something about how Jesus prayed. They'd seen answers to Jesus' prayers. And so they were impressed. They were intrigued by the prayer life of Christ. And so they said, would you teach us, Jesus, to pray your way? And Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Pray in this manner. Pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Now, was Jesus giving us a prayer to memorize? Was He simply telling us, here's a pattern of words that if you will speak them in somewhat of a mantra form that God will hear you and God will answer? And basically, here's something to memorize and rattle off a few times during the day in about 30, 35 seconds, and you'll be okay with your prayer life. Is that what Jesus was teaching us? I don't believe that it was. While I do believe that this prayer that He gave to us is a meaningful prayer for us to pray, it's something vital for our lives, it's something that I pray quite often. In fact, there's very seldom a day that I go by that I do not pray some portion of this prayer as it relates specifically to these words. But Jesus was giving us much more than something to memorize, much more than just a statement to make and somehow check off our list and say, yep, we did the prayer thing. No, Jesus was giving us a model prayer. Jesus was giving us the way to pray. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner or pray like this. This is not what you are to pray so much as it is how you are to pray. Start out with our Father which art in heaven. That is, you have to have a relationship with God. And prayer is all about building your relationship with God. It's not a religious thing that you do. It is a relationship thing that you do. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is to pray effectively, you have to know who you're praying to. You have to know something about the character, the nature of this God that you're talking to. And you know His character and nature by His name, by His names. And so you must know that He is Jehovah Shalom, and He is Jehovah Jireh, and He is Jehovah Nisi, He is Jehovah Rapha, He is Jehovah Ropha. He is the Lord who is Yahweh, the I am that I am. And so when you pray to Him, you have an awareness of the greatness of His nature, the greatness of His character. Hallowed be your name. I honor your name, God. Now may your kingdom come. May your will be done in earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. That is, God, I'm asking now that I will be submitted to you, that you will be king. 
That is, your kingdom will rule over me and that your will would be done in my life. That I'm coming submitting to you. I'm coming bowing my will before your will. Giving my life to you. Handing you, as we talked about, that blank sheet of paper and saying, God, you fill out the details. I don't come with an agenda. I ask you to place your agenda for my life very clearly before me this day not just for me, but for the people around me. Then give us today our daily bread. God, there's some things today that I'm going to need to do your will. And so, Lord, we ask you from heaven to release those resources into our lives today so that your will can be done. And, and forgive me, forgive us our debt. Said as God, there's some things I need to get right with you. And it takes some time in prayer where you open up your mind and heart to the Word of God, the reflection of the Holy Spirit, that mirror that we talked about last week, and we gaze in and let God show us some things about our life for our good that will help us to grow and mature, and things that we wouldn't see otherwise other than God showing them to us, and then also to make the choice to forgive those who have done something against us, where we have bitterness, anger in our heart, that we would not carry that with us into our day. And so we start our day praying the Jesus way. And then he comes to this next section of prayer that's recorded in the first part of verse 13 these words, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Would you read it together with me? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus now is teaching us how to pray our way to spiritual victory. He's helping us to understand how prayer involves engaging in something we might refer to and is often referred to as spiritual warfare. And I want to share with you today just one point, one basic thing that will help you to begin to learn something about this part of prayer. What does it mean to pray this prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one? Here's something that you need to know about prayer. Jesus teaches us here is that prayer is something that will protect you. Prayer has protective power in your life. Lead us not into, what is the word again? Temptation. Temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is any kind of enticement, any kind of thing that will draw you into something that is contrary to God's Word, either in action or in attitude. So you and I sin not just with our actions, we also sin with our attitudes. And temptation can draw you into wrong attitudes, wrong thinking, wrong behavior, wrong words, wrong, a wrong lifestyle. That is temptation, enticement to do that which is contrary to God's Word or contrary to God's will. See, every great soldier that goes onto the battlefield knows the importance of body armor. If you go on the battlefield without body armor, you're not a wise soldier. If you're a law enforcement official, you go on duty during the day, you should put on that vest that protects you, that protects your, protects your vital organs. It can save your life. Whether you're a law enforcement official or someone out in, the, in harm's way, you, become to re, you come to realize there's some things I need to wear that provide protection for my life. And it's true for us in our spiritual battle. If you and I don't wear the right kind of protection, we're going to get in trouble. Sometimes people wonder, how did I get in trouble? How did my attitude get way out in left field? How did my behavior get so off track? How did I get where I'm at today? What happens is the Bible says that Satan's able to come as a wily creature and he comes in and he plants stuff in our system and he draws us away and he has these arrows, these flaming arrows that can affect our soul, our spirit, our lives and we must be protected. And the Bible says that the, the power of prayer is there to bring about protection in your 
your life. If you want to be protected from temptation and in the face of temptation, you must learn something about praying the Jesus way. Jesus practiced what he preached. On the very night before he was going to be crucified, when he's going through the agony, the spiritual battle as, he's, as it's raging in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he takes three of his disciples there with him, Peter, James, and John, he says to them something that you and I need to hear echoing in our spirit this very day. He tells them these words. He says, watch and pray. This is Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray so that. Notice there's a so that there. So that you will not fall into, what's the word? again temptation the spirit is willing but what is the flesh and if you're going to have strength to overcome temptation your flesh my flesh it is weak but prayer will give you the strength Jesus says to Peter James and John you must pray if you're going to be strong enough to overcome the temptations that will come your way now why do we fall into temptation in the first place we fall into temptation because temptation is very subtle Temptation is very deceptive. Satan will never show up in your life with a red suit on and a pitchfork and say, Hi, I'm here. I'm the devil and I'm here to destroy your life. He never does that. He comes into your life in very subtle ways, very tactical, strategic ways. He enters into your life. He knows your vulnerabilities. He knows how to get at you. See, he studied you. He's aware of you. Just like any enemy studies the opposition Satan has studied you. He knows where your vulnerabilities are. He knows where your weaknesses are. And so he knows something about how to attack you. He's not going to try to entice you with something that's not enticing to you. But he finds your vulnerability and he goes after it in a very deceptive way, a very subtle and deceptive way. Let me take you back to the very first example of temptation in the Bible. I hope you'll listen closely to this because I believe God is speaking to some hearts here today. When God created Adam and Eve... He placed them in the perfect environment, the perfect marriage. If there was ever a marriage made in heaven, it was Adam and Eve. They had the perfect relationship. God put the two of them together. God put them in their home. God put them in their place. They were where they were supposed to be with the person they were supposed to be with. And they had everything around them for their success. There was nothing in the Garden of Eden that could have destroyed them except one thing, their own choices. Because God said to them, I'm going to give you all these wonderful trees in this garden, but there's one tree that you should not, I command you not to eat of. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day, of you, the day you eat it, you will surely die. And so the reason that God placed that tree in the Garden of Eden was because God wanted to give Adam and Eve a choice. See, God will never take your choices away from you. God didn't make you a puppet. God says, if you're going to obey me and live for me, it's because you will choose to do so. It's because it's something you will want to do and make a choice to do with your life. God doesn't control your will. God gave you a will so that you can make decisions with it. And by the way, that's why we're accountable for the decisions that we make before God. He holds us in judgment and accountability. We'll all stand before him one day about the choices we make with the will that he's given to us. And so Adam and Eve, perfect environment, perfect world. But notice what happens in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, just three chapters in. Let me say one more thing before I read this. We don't know how long Adam and Eve had been in the garden at this point in time. Some people ask me at times, well, pastor, do you really believe there was a real Adam and a, a real Eve? Yes. 
I believe there was a real Adam. I believe there was a real Eve. I believe there was a real Garden of Eden. Why? Because the Bible says so. Jesus made reference to it. Jesus talked about Adam and Jesus talked about Eve. And if, if, it, if it was good enough for Jesus, is it good enough for you? Amen. And so Adam and Eve, we don't know how long they had been in the garden, but one day in the garden, something was different. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's stop there for a moment. After two chapters describing the creation of Adam and Eve, the creation of the world, the placing of Adam and Eve in the garden, the, the instruction of God to rule in that garden, now we see someone entering the picture, and he's, a, he's referred to here as the serpent. We know him to be the devil. Lucifer cast out of heaven. Now he shows up uh, personified or expressed through a serpent expression there in the Garden of Eden. Eden. And he has a voice and he begins to speak and he starts by asking Eve a question, did God really say? Trying to plant some doubt in Eve's mind about what God had said regarding his commandments. The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. Notice now, he's not only causing questioning, doubting about what God said, but he's actually coming opposite to what God said. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice this. When Satan comes in, he tries to make a choice for what he wants to do in your life better than the choice that God has offered you. If you eat this, you're going to be better. If you do this, you're going to feel better. If you do this, you're going to get ahead. God's trying to hold you back. But here's where all the fun is. Here's where you really need to go with your life. And Satan, when he shows up in your life, he always comes in a very deceptive, crafty sort of way. And he actually deceives you so that you begin to think what you're doing is the right thing when it's the wrong thing. There are a lot of people that are totally convinced that what they're thinking is the right thing. They're totally convinced that what their attitudes are are the right attitudes. They're totally convinced that what their behavior is is the right behavior, when in reality they've been trapped by the adversary. They've been deceived. See, Adam and Eve were being deceived to think that they would actually be wiser by doing things Satan's way than God's way. That's how crafty, that's how much of a con artist Satan is in your life and my life. See, he comes in with his temptation. And the ugliness of sin is never seen in temptation. You never see its ugliness. It's only seen much later on in the consequences that it will produce in your life. Now, Jesus ties all this into prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Lead us not into temptation. Are you with me so far? Okay. Lead us not into temptation. Don't let us fall for, be trapped by, become a prey of, get conned by Satan. Lead us not into temptation. The reason that he, does, he introduces this into prayer is because 
prayer does some things for you spiritually that you must be aware of. Let me quickly share with you several things, five things very quickly, that prayer will do for you that will help you to not fall prey to temptation. First of all, in prayer, read it with me, we are sensitized, read it together, it's on your notes, we are sensitized to the devil's presence and schemes. When you pray, you become more sensitive to what the enemy is up to. You're able to better recognize, if you will, the M.O. of the adversary. Quick story from the book of Acts chapter 5. There was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira had decided to sell a piece of property and give the money to the church. They wanted to help with the ministry of the church as it was going forward in the early days of the church. And so their desire was to be perceived as being really generous givers. And so they were going to sell a piece of property, come to the church and say, here's the money that we received from this piece of property and claim they were giving it all when they were not giving all of the price. Now, They could give whatever they wanted to do. The issue was not how much they gave. The issue was they were trying to be deceptive. They were trying to present themselves as doing one thing when in reality they were doing something else. They were actually liars. Now, wouldn't it be good if all of us had a little little measurement in our minds that every time somebody lied, your little thing, ooh, liar, okay? It'd be great, wouldn't it? But we don't have that. But Peter did. Peter, because he was a praying man. How do we know Peter was a praying man? We'll read about him in the book of Acts. He was praying all the time. In fact, by the time you get to chapter 3 of the book of Acts, Peter and John on the way to the temple to pray. He's always praying. You see Peter praying time and time again. So Peter, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, became a praying man. And because he was a praying man, he was able to pick up on the devil's schemes and the devil's presence. Notice what Peter said to Ananias. They've made this presentation. They're trying to deceive the church in what they're doing. Then notice what happens. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? He says, hey, Ananias, I got your number. The Holy Spirit knows what's really going on here. How did Peter have that kind of perception? He had it because he was what kind of a man? He was a praying man. Number two, we're sensitized to, read it with me, we're sensitized to God's heavenly resources to help us. When you pray, you become more sensitive to the resources of heaven to help you and the faces and faces of the things you go through, the battles that you're experiencing in life. There's a time when Elisha had been surrounded by a group of soldiers, an army, the Aramean army, and he was going to ostensibly be destroyed. And so he's in this very vulnerable situation. His servant is with him, and his servant sees all of these enemies surrounding Elisha, and the time was very threatening. And notice what happens here as this servant comes to Elisha and says, hey, Elisha, we're in trouble. Chapter chapter 6 of 2 Kings, verses 16 and 17, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha, what did he do? He prayed. So what kind of a man is Elisha? He is a praying man. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked around or looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What's going on here? Elisha could see what his servant couldn't see. Elisha could see the angels of God surrounding them. And even though there was a human army, Elisha said, hey, those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Why? Because Elisha could see God's heavenly resources that were there to help 
help. And by the time he prayed and asked God to work in the life of his servant, his servant saw it as well. Let me tell you something. When there are demons coming against you, you need to get your eyes open through prayer and see all the angels that are surrounding you as well. So God opens your eyes through prayer. The reason that a lot of us go through our life so intimidated by, by the works of, of the adversary is because we haven't prayed our way through an awareness of the resources that God has made available to you and me. Number three, we're given a way out of... When you pray, you're giving a, given a way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. See, in prayer, listen closely, in prayer you find the power to say no to sinful attitudes and sinful behavior. The Bible says that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The only way you can find strength to overcome the weakness of your flesh is to get down on your knees in prayer and ask God to tap you in to the power source that will give you the ability to say no when temptation comes your way. Number four, when you and I pray, we're empowered to do what? Circle that word there, resist, to resist the devil. I'm going to ask you to read First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 with me. Verses 8 and 9, actually. Here we go. It's all together. Read with me. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter says, be aware of the fact that there is an adversary, there's an enemy, there's a devil that's prowling around. A few weeks ago, we talked about the prowling nature of Satan, of the devil. But he says he's prowling around looking for someone to devour, someone to plant his seeds in, someone to drown with his mindset, to overcome, to devour. And then Peter says, when he shows up in your life, you have to learn to do what? To Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, resistance is when you and I rise up in opposition to what the adversary is trying to accomplish. We rise up in opposition to the agenda of the adversary. And it's an active thing that you have to do. If you don't rise up with something on the inside that says, I'm taking a stand against this, I assure you, the adversary will bowl over you. He will, he will knock you down. He'll, he'll run roughshod over your life until you make the decision that you're going to rise up and that you're going to resist. There are a lot of Christians that are being overtaken by the works of darkness in their life because they're not willing to rise up. They're far too passive. And you can't be passive with Satan. You can't be passive with the devil. You can't be passive with the works of darkness. At some point in time, there has to be a rising up on the inside that says, I'm going to resist his work. And I will tell you something, that when you pray, you begin to get much bolder, much more empowered to stand up and resist the works of darkness. When I was in the eighth grade, there was a bully in my class that set his eyes on me. And for weeks, what felt like months, I'm sure it wasn't that many 
many weeks actually, but it felt like a long time when a bully is coming after you. I, I, became, I, I started dreading going to school and I dreaded being around this guy and I was doing everything I possibly could to avoid him because he was always picking on me. He was much bigger than I was and everybody in the class was afraid of him and he was always making fun of me and picking on me and trying to get me in some kind of altercation with him and I found myself just shrinking back I didn't want to go to school I didn't want to be around him because I didn't want to have to have an encounter with Johnny that was his name Johnny true story so Johnny was making my life miserable until one day on the softball field, we were in the same class, it was P. I was on one team, he was on the other. And Johnny decided that he was going to press in on me again, but I was different that day for some reason. Something happened to me that day that had never happened to me before. And by the way, this is not meant to be for example for you kids, what I'm about to tell you, okay? But Johnny came pushing on me that day, and something on the inside rose up and said, you're not going to push me anymore. There was a resistor that rose up on the inside of me. And so little old me pushed back big old Johnny. I didn't run from him. I stood my ground with him, and I, I gave him a shove back as he had shoved me, and it ended up in an altercation. And guess what? I looked really badly after that. I mean, I was messed up. I had black eyes. I had two black eyes, not just one. I had two. I got bruises all over myself, but you know what? When I stood up after that altercation, I knew that things were going to be different from that day forward. Why? Because I would made a stand. I would stood my ground, and guess what? The next day, Johnny wanted to be my friend, okay? And I didn't have to go back to school anymore afraid of what Johnny was going to say to me or afraid of what Johnny was going to do to me. Why? Because there was a day that something stood up on the inside of me. And folks, in your life, as you walk in your spiritual journey, you've got to get to a place in your walk with God where there's this moment that you start standing up on the inside for your kids and standing up on the inside for your marriage and standing up on the inside for your family and standing up on the inside for your neighborhood and standing up and saying, you know what? I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to push back. I'm going to resist. I'm going to make a stand against the adversary. I'm not going to get pushed around any longer. And I'm going to talk about this more in a moment. You can't do this in your own strength or power. Don't you think that you're any match for the adversary yourself? But folks, understand something. The greater one lives in you. The Bible says that, the, that he who is greater is in you than he that is in the world. And so prayer gives you that boldness. When you get up from prayer, you have a strength to be able to say, there's a resistance in me that I did not have before. Let's go to the next point. In our prayer times... It helps us against temptation because, read it with me, we put on our spiritual armor. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Notice again that word, stand, against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Put your body armor on. 
When you pray, you're putting your body armor on so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Please notice that the main point of this, by the time you put your armor on and you resist, that at the end of the day, after the evil comes your way, you're not down, you're up. You haven't fallen, you're standing. Amen? You haven't been defeated, you're victorious. Why? Because prayer has given you the capacity to stand, the capacity to withstand the attacks that come your way. Prayer protects us. So how do we pray the Jesus way? Lead us not into temptation. Let me quickly, and I emphasize quickly there because it is going to be fairly quick, ask you to fill out your sheets there, if you will, with six things that you need to ask, six things you need to do when you pray. First of all, ask for strength. Lead us not to temptation. God, I'm asking you for strength to obey you even when I don't feel like it. Because there'll be times in your life you will not feel like obeying God. There'll be times actually when your heart, your mind, your emotions, your body, your hormones will be trying to tell you to do something opposite of what God says and you need strength. So God, I'm asking you for strength to obey you even when I don't feel like obeying you. Number two, you ask for discernment. Write it down. God, today I'm not only asking you for strength as I pray to obey you, but I'm also asking you for discernment so I can recognize any attack, recognize any scheme of darkness that's trying to seize, invade, assault, trick me in any way. Give me the spiritual eyes, God, that I need today to see into the invisible realm. What is discernment? Discernment is the ability to grasp what is not obvious. That's what it is. Discernment is the capacity to see something that wouldn't be clear perhaps to most folks, but you're able to see it. You discern something, you perceive something because God is helping you to do so. Number three, ask for faith and ask for confidence when spiritual attacks come against us. God, today I'm also asking you for faith and confidence. As I go into this day, there will be battles that will come my way, and I'm praying that I will approach them with faith and I will approach them with confidence. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Of course you do. First Samuel chapter 17. The Bible says that when David went against Goliath, he went against Goliath. It's not said specifically, but you read the account and you can see these characteristics there. He went against Goliath with faith and he went against Goliath with confidence, didn't he? He said, Goliath, you're coming against me with sword and and javelin and spear, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And by the way, this day, God will give you into my hands and the birds of the air will be pecking on your head. Now, folks, I call that confidence because guess what? Goliath is this and David is this. Goliath is Johnny and David is Dale. But there's a faith and a confidence that rises in the midst of battle. Pray each day, lead me not into temptation. As God today, I'm asking you for the faith that I need and the confidence I need to fight the battles I need to fight. Number four, ask for God's providential care. Write it down. God's providential care against those things that you may not see. Lead me not into temptation. God, I'm not going to see everything today because I'm human. There's some things that I may miss. My discernment may not be up to speed in every area. But God, I'm asking you to run interference for me. Does anyone know what the phrase running interference means? In football, it means this. If you've got the ball and you're running downfield, you've got someone that's a blocker in front of you and they're running interference for you so that you can make ground. Here's the good news. God is able to run interference 
interference for you. Amen. He's before you and he's behind you. You say, God, today I'm trusting your providential care in my life that you will run interference, those things that I can't see. God, block them out of the way. Stand as my guard. Be the shield of my life today. Lead me not into temptation. Lord knows I'm getting ready to preach right now, but I've got to wind down, okay? Got to close it out. Number five, proclaim the power of Jesus' name and blood in prayer. Lead us not into temptation. That is, you take what's been given to you as a weapon, the power of Jesus' name and the power of Jesus' blood. Let me tell you something about the name of Jesus. The Bible says that because Jesus fully obeyed the Father and went to the cross. Read about it in second, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Obeyed the Father, did all the Father asked him to do, dying on the cross and rising victoriously from the grave. The Bible says that God the Father gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you one of the greatest assets you have in your spiritual life is the name of Jesus. Take the name of Jesus with you. Take it with you into your prayer closet. Take it with you into your battles. Don't you dare fight in your own name. David was wise enough to know he was not fighting in his own name. He was fighting in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And you and I fight not in our own name. We fight in Jesus' name. Why? Because he's already won the battle. Because he's already won the victory. And all you're doing is actually enforcing, listen to me, you're enforcing you're not fighting you're enforcing a victory that has already been won so you've got to get this into your spirit that you are not going into a battle to fight no you're not going into a battle to fight you're going into a battle with faith to enforce a victory that has already been won when Jesus said it is finished he meant what he said it is finished the battle is won the victory has been secured and victory is yours The Bible says that we are more than overcomers through him who gave his life for us. That should have gotten a little bit of an amen right there, but that's okay. No, it's too late now. Take the blood with you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Plead the blood. Plead the blood of Jesus over your marriage. Plead the blood of Jesus over your children. Call their name out and say, Lord, over that child, I plead the blood of Jesus. Over that child, I plead the blood of Jesus. Plead the blood of Jesus over your grandchildren. Plead the blood of Jesus over your great-grandchildren. Plead the blood of Jesus over your house. Plead the blood of Jesus over your neighborhood. Plead the blood of Jesus over your co-workers. Plead the blood of Jesus over the people that work over you and the people that work under you. Plead the blood of Jesus over the person you meet in the grocery store or in the gasoline station. You plea and say, God, I'm praying by the power of your blood that you would do a work in their lives. Why? Because the blood speaks. What does the blood speak of? It speaks of victory. It speaks of what Jesus did on Calvary. And so that's why we take claim to the power of the blood. I appreciate, I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. And we talked about it a moment ago. Take an active stand of resistance. Resistance against the works of darkness. To resist is to withstand, is to rise up on the inside, not in your name, but in the name that is above your name, Jesus' name, and to say, you know what, enough is enough. Lead us, Jesus said, when you pray, if you want to pray my way, pray this way, lead us not into temptation. What does prayer do for you? Prayer 
protects you. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your word today. We're so grateful for you speaking to us. And we're asking that this series that we're involved in this summer on prayer would be much more than just lessons that we hear and notes that we take down on a piece of paper or on a on an electronic form some way, but Lord, we ask you that these, these messages would become real in our hearts, that what you taught us about prayer, we would actually do. We would begin to apply them in our lives. And I pray especially today that we would learn how to pray this portion of the prayer, lead us not into temptation. God, I'm asking for all of us that you'll make us stronger in the face of temptation, more discerning than we've ever been before. We ask you to run interference for us, God, and to block those things, be our shield, be the one that surrounds us and protects us, Lord. Help us to learn how to use faith and confidence and help us, Lord, to to stand in resistance against the works of the adversary. Show us how to live this kind of life. Let us pray that prayer with deep meaning and conviction. Lead us not into temptation. May it be very real in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.